Our scripture reading this uh, afternoon comes from several passages of scripture. Let's first turn to the uh, New Testament, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John 14, we read from verse 15 to 17, and then turning to chapter 15. The words of our Lord in John 14, at verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And then to chapter 15, we read verse 12 to 14. John 15, at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And then we turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, reading at verse 12 to 16. Philippians 2 at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And then lastly, just a few verses in Psalm 103. The last part of Psalm 103 is Psalm of David. Concerning the holy service of the angels in heaven that we are compared to in our Lord's Day uh, lesson this afternoon. Psalm 103, at verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let us respond with singing from Psalm 100. We stand to sing from Psalm 100, verses 1, 2, and 4.
And now please turn to uh, Lord's Day 49 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 49, page 562 in my edition here, where we consider the third, com- third request or the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Question 124. What is the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. And so we confess as part of our undoubted Christian faith. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the word or the title Lord we use quite often when we speak of the name of Jesus or have of Christ the Messiah, we say so often, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says something about who he is and the fact that he is our ruler, that he is our master. We, we call him our Lord, the one who is uh, supremely ruling over us from heaven above. When we think of the Lord, we think of someone who protects us, someone who gives us life, uh, someone who is gracious and good to us, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are members of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, it is at the same time the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. And so in the, te- in the, in the uh, Lord's Prayer, our Lord teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come and, and thy will be done. We're thinking of our Father's kingdom, aren't we? It's the kingdom that he established in and through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's he now that comes to us with a commandment, if you will, in the Gospels, a commandment by which he teaches us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It really makes sense, doesn't it? If we call him our Lord, should we not gladly say, Thy will be done? The will of the Father, the will of the Son, and of course the will of the Holy Spirit, the very author of the Word of God. We pray Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our Lord teaches us. And now this, this afternoon, this third request. Well, let's consider first congregation the sum and the substance of this petition. What does it really say? What is it getting at? What does it really mean for our lives? Well, the answer is a simple one. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men uh, may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. This is all about the question of who is our Lord? Uh, Who is our Master? And what might he expect of us? We think of Joshua, for example, who said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There was Joshua's reverence and obedience and submission to the will of God. Whom do we serve? As we gather together as believers to worship the Lord, we indeed commit ourselves to him. Again, this afternoon, we commit ourselves to hearing his word and seeking to do his holy will. 
And uh, is this not of the substance of our Christian faith? Our Christian faith has a lot of meat to it, if you will, a lot of substance, a lot of material. It's not just simply believing, but, but it's more. G.I. Williamson, a minister in the OPC, had, has written a very good commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, and he says here on this Lord's Day, he says, it's right here that we see how God's kingdom comes. It's right here, he says. This is how we see his kingdom coming, as believers are brought by the Spirit and the Word of God to the obedience of faith. To the obedience that comes with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our obedience, of course, does not save us. Only Christ does by his blood and spirit. But with that faith comes that corresponding life of devotion and of service and, and yes, of obedience. Faith is not something that ever simply stands alone. It's not a faith that is empty of practical substance. It's a faith wherein we pray as the Lord teaches us, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the key words in our catechism answer here are the words deny and then notice the word obey, two very strong verbs. This is what I may not do because it's contrary to God's will. This I must deny or reject or have no part of. And this, on, on the other hand, is, is what I must obey because it's good. It's God's holy will. It's expressly stated in the scriptures. This is, what I, this is what I must do. And this is what I must do as a kingdom citizen, as someone who indeed has been uh, brought to life in Jesus Christ. And so, congregation, if you say, uh, Jesus is my Lord, if you say, the Father in heaven, he's my God, well then, for sure, we will say, grant that we and all men may then deny our own will and without murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. Notice that last phrase, your will alone is good. That perhaps is not an easy thing to say. Our normal default position as sinful creatures is to say, well, my, my will is good. My, my thinking alone is good. And, and, and perhaps I will approve of God's will if it suits my fancy. We need to be born again to be able to say, Lord, thy will alone is good. And so for us to, to get the matter straight, to, 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 to rightly be able to understand this third petition, we need some kind of fundamental commandment, if you will, or a statement from God which supports what Jesus here is teaching us to pray for when he says, thy will alone is good. We need a fundamental commandment that undergirds this third request. And it's the one that we have read in John 14, verse 15, where Jesus says, so simply, if you love me, keep my commandments. Doesn't that kind of cover all the bases? Is there any area of life this, these words do not speak to when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments? And then he reinforces that 
He, he, he repeats himself in a, in, a, in a different kind of way. In chapter 15, verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Even when I command you to pray, your will be done, O Father, as it is in heaven. Your will, O Father, I seek to do, because you are my Father who is in heaven. But notice that interesting phrase in verse 14, you are my friends. I've just been talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ, but here he says you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I trust congregation that you all call or claim to be or live up to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you would call him, therefore, your Lord. Hey, servants are underneath their Lord. I trust and pray that you also would want to consider yourself friends of the Lord Jesus Christ, too. If you are his servants, you call him Lord. And if he is your Lord, he calls you his friends. That's quite a marvelous thing for Jesus to call us his friends. That's heartwarming. That's that's consoling. Now, how is it that Jesus has become our friend? Our Lord, too, but also our friend here. Well, he says in verse 13 of John 15, Greater love has no one than this, than than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Brothers and sisters, we, we know what Jesus Christ has done for us. We, we, we know that. We know our faith is not based on something that we have done, but what Jesus Christ has done. He has laid down his life for us, demonstrating he is our Lord, but also that he seeks to be our friend. Let's now kind of sum things up together Uh, By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we indeed become members of his kingdom. And we come under his lordship. He gets to command us. But we also come under his friendship. And thus gladly, as my friend, as my Lord, I will very happily do his will because he is my friend. He calls me that. And he is my Lord and therefore... Yes, what can I say or do but say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the obedience that comes with faith. The obedience of faith. And that's really what the sum and the substance of this third commandment is. It is that we pray to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. And we who are faithful prayers are those who also then... uh, Practice what we pray. We often say preachers better practice what they preach, but we who pray have to practice what we pray. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus simply says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Pray this way and live this way. 
Well, secondly, let's look a bit more practically at what this sum and substance of the Lord's Prayer looks like. It's got to be practical. Let's first uh, zero in on children, young children here. What would you say is God's primary will for you? When you pray, when your moms and dads teach you to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what might be the first thing that ought to come to your mind as children? Well, Ephesians 6 verse 1, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it is the first commandment with a promise that it might be well with you. Kids, this is God's will for you. This is how he he teaches you to pray when you pray, thy will be done. Pray that you might honor your father and your mother, the fifth commandment. Pray that you might obey all those in authority over you. When you do this first commandment that I lay upon you as children, uh, God is saying to us, and you seek to be faithful to that prayer and that commandment, then guess what? Jesus calls you his friends, his friends, his Lord too, but his very special relationship of being a friend of Jesus. Well, what about servants and slaves or workers or laborers? What might be a fundamental aspect of God's will for you as you pray this third request? Ephesians 6, 5, Paul says, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, Paul says. In other words, workers, wage earners, as you live in obedience to your, your boss, those who are your superiors, as you do that, you're also expressing at the same time your obedience to Jesus Christ. See how the rule of Jesus Christ impacts the workplace? You're doing God's will as you obey those who are your masters. And as you do that, you show Jesus is your Lord... And Jesus gives you another reason for why he calls you his friends. Because you're doing his will in the workplace. One time, Roman soldiers came to Jesus and they said, what shall we do? And Jesus gave them three points. He said, first, do not intimidate anyone. Do not accuse anyone falsely. And be content with your wages. That was God's overarching will for Roman soldiers. They too had an office to fulfill faithfully before their creator. And Jesus summarizes God's will for them. If Roman soldiers would pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it would include these things specifically that Jesus taught them. And this same principle, of course, would apply to us too, wouldn't it? to not intimidate anybody, to accuse no one falsely, and to be content with our wages. Jesus is teaching us about the fact we ought not to be greedy and to simply live for the big buck. He's teaching us some fundamental things about life here. Well, Jesus mentions another category of people. One time tax collectors came to him And they asked Jesus, Lord, what shall we do? 
And Jesus' answer again was telling. He said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. This is God's will for tax collectors. If they want to be serious about being members of the kingdom of God and living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then he says, collect no more than what has been appointed for you. And remember, that's what Zacchaeus had to learn. He was a tax collector, but he'd been ripping off people for a long, long time. He, of course, did not know the Lord. And, of course, God's will for him would have been that he should repent of his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, that is what Zacchaeus did. But how was that faith now to impact his life? You see, there's substance to the faith that you have in Christ. And Jesus says then, uh, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And as Zacchaeus also coming to faith in Christ would then receive from Jesus this heartwarming assurance, Zacchaeus, you are my friend. You're my friend. My Lord, I'm your Lord, yes, but I'm your friend. This is how you also pray, thy will be done. I'm not going to cheat anybody anymore. And congregation, this is what this first or third request is all about, isn't it? Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. Well, let's look at another situation. What, what is the will for God's people in his church? Well, so many things, of course, can be said. But here we're again looking at what it is to live under the authority of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13 and 17, for God's people, the writer says, Submit to those who rule over you and be in submission, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Consider that truth as you pray regularly, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What might be God's will for the wives in the congregation? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. See again, the authority of Christ is front and center here under whose lordship we live. What might be God's will for husbands? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's that statement again, eh? like we have in John 15. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, your friend. I trust he is. If not, repent of your sin that you might know him as your Lord who saves you, that you might have him as your friend, as your dearest companion to comfort you, direct you, and help you. Remember, he laid down his life for you. What is God's will for us if we look very broadly at, at the government under which we must live? 1 Peter 2.13 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for this is the will of God. Peter says, Thy will be done also comes in this way as we live in obedience to those who rule over us. 
Here's one last example regarding God's will that we pray for that would be done in our life by way of obedience. It's a different kind of uh, or sort of uh, piece of God's word. I refer to Galatians 5.22 where Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, love never comes to us as an option in God's word, but it comes to us as a commandment. If you love me, keep my commandments. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, these words don't sound like a commandment, but yet they come with the authority of the Holy Spirit as expressive of the will of God for us that we bear these fruits of the Spirit by His grace. And it all flows out of this most fundamental commandment of all, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And doesn't that mesh so perfectly with the third request? Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring, obey your will for it alone is good. In our translation of the catechism that we use in our church, instead of the word murmuring is the word backtalk. It's a rather strong word, but it has the same sense. The original translation out of the Latin is simply the word murmuring. You probably think of the Israelites, how they murmured and grumbled in the wilderness because they had no water, they had no food, they wanted to go back to Egypt, etc. As we look at this answer from the catechism, we see how the Lord delights in a clean and a sincere and a wholehearted obedience to, to Jesus Christ, to our Father in heaven, when we, when we pray this prayer. God would not be pleased with a grumbling, uh, complaining, uh, half-hearted compliance to his holy will. I don't think any of, your, any of you parents would be happy with that kind of obedience from your own kids, how much less our Father in heaven would not be satisfied with uh, a murmuring kind of obedience. These things we are reminded of in Philippians chapter 2 at verse uh, 14, where Paul says to the church, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And as I read these words, I cannot help but think of myself, of people in general, how, how easily we can murmur and, and grumble do we ever need a Savior to wash us away the sin of grumbling and disputing and complaining? Never mind all our other sins, but, but this one here that the Catechism identifies for us to obey your will without murmuring, for it alone 
is good. The Lord expects uh, no sinful feedback from us as he lays this petition upon our hearts. I guess we all know we're poor and needy and sinful creatures. And yet we're saved by the blood of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? To be saved by the blood of Christ from all the grumbling we've done in a lifetime of living. Saved by the blood and the spirit of Jesus Christ from such sin as well when we repent. And as we realize our sinfulness, please remember, A, the goodness of God. Going back to verse 12, look, how does God call the church? Even though they're far from perfect, he says, therefore, my beloved. Isn't that beautiful? He loves us. Makes me think of Jesus. He says, you're my friends. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? While it's God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then, therefore, it's not in the text, but that's implied. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you might become harmless and blameless uh, and, and so forth. Remember, as we fall so short, the Lord still calls us his beloved. And Jesus still calls us his friends. Even when we sin, we fall short again. Remember, he laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. What can I say? What can I do then in response? Oh, Lord, I, 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 I really want to do your will. Please help me to pray this prayer with all seriousness of purpose and then for me to by your grace, put it into practice too. Hey, this is the sum, the substance of this prayer. Never faith. Yes, this is a very serious prayer. But we are to be serious Christians, aren't we? Serious men and women and boys and girls and teenagers who belong to Jesus Christ, who is our friend and our God. Well, that was the sum and the substance. And then briefly, let's look at the spirit and the standard for this third petition. What, what does that look like? The standard and, uh, and the uh, spirit. Well, we go to the last part of the answer from Lord's Day 49. Grant also that everyone may carry out his duties, the duties of his calling in his office, as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. The uh, spirit of obedience that we pray for is willingness and faithfulness. And the standard for their obedience, guess what? It's the angels in heaven. See how our Father holds us to a high and a holy standard or an expectation. Grant us... Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully. There's the spirit. And the standard as the angels in heaven. Where do we get that willing and faithful spirit or attitude from? Can we work that in ourselves? Of course not. We need the Holy Spirit for sure. 
And how does he fit into things or come into the picture? Well, our Lord promises him to us when he gives the command, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H in our translation, a helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Congregation, I sure need the help of the Holy Spirit in order to deny my own will and to obey God's will without any murmuring. I need the Holy Spirit's help and to do my work. Whether I'm a minister or a plumber, it makes no difference, but to do my work in a faithful and in a, and in a willing manner. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the helper. I can't look for help within myself or believe in myself to to get through and to be faithful. Jesus promises us the helper. How in the world could a catechism ever compare us to the holy angels to to live as faithfully and willingly as they do (laughs) on our own strength? Forget it. We need the helper. We need the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so no matter what you're calling, no matter what grade you are in school or college, no matter your station in life, your role of labor in the church, we need to have that willing and faithful spirit that comes only by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember, the helper that God has promised us to do his kingdom work. Remember the willing spirit, the faithful spirit of the angels. Yes, remember these things. But remember this too, and this all fits in with it so nicely, where Paul says in Philippians 2.12, that you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. There again is the helper at work in you, the Holy Spirit. You are responsible to work out your salvation and know it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Remember the angels as well. They here are the spirit and the standard for doing God's will. We might Ask, why would the catechism writers want to compare us to the holy angels? They're perfect, aren't they? Well, yes, they are, the angels in heaven. Why are we to live up to their standard and pray for that? Well, because they're servants like us. In that sense, we're on the same playing field. We are all servants of God in his holy kingdom. And the Lord, of course, expects perfection of us. We can't. That's why we have a Savior But still, we aim for that perfection. We aim to be as faithful and willing as the angels in heaven. And perhaps you might think of that as you read in verse 15, we're to do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, Paul says, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights 
in the world. What were the angels like? They were blameless. They were harmless. They had a willing and a faithful spirit. How do we know? Well, Psalm 103 tells us. Bless the Lord, you as angels who excel in strength, who do his word. There's their practice. Heeding the voice of his word. There it is again. Bless the Lord, all you as hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. There it is again. There's that standard of the angels as they willingly, faithfully, as ministering spirits, serving God's elect, carry out their kingdom work. What stands out? What stands out? What is the spirit here? It's one of obedience to the word of God, of heeding his voice, of doing his pleasure. May that be the spirit that drives you, fills your heart. And may the angels be the standard as well that you seek to follow as example Uh, For good reason, the catechism tells us to carry out our duties and office as willingly, faithfully, as the angels in heaven. Paul certainly gets at that when it says that we may become blameless and harmless, carrying out the will of God without complaining and disputing. Now, congregation, as far as I know, I believe most people would not want to be called an angel or that we would be considered a bunch of angels when it comes to our living and our practice we would quickly say well I ain't no angel that's for sure don't expect me to be perfect I'm no angel and people may use that to make an excuse for their bad behavior or their immorality, whatever it might be. But let's consider this congregation in light of this Lord's Day question and answer. Would would that we all were more like the angels? Think about that. Would that we all were more like the holy angels? Praying to that end, aiming to that standard of blamelessness, of willingness and of faithfulness. To become like the angels who excel in strength for they do his word. And they heed the voice of the Lord and they seek to do his pleasure. Again, you might quickly react, well, how, 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 how can can I be such a servant? Remember the helper who Jesus Christ has sent to you together with the Father, the Holy Spirit. Remember the helper who has come to indwell us. Perhaps we don't pray near enough for the Holy Spirit's sanctifying influences influences to direct our living every single day. I would say 24-7. The sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit that we might pray this prayer and out of grace do this prayer. Remember the Holy Spirit. Remember also your friend 
who has laid down his life for you, to whom we have the obligation of him being our Lord, to do his will in our life as living sacrifices, what Paul says is our reasonable service. And then remember, of course, the angels. Think on the holy angels who willingly and who faithfully carry out the will of our Father in heaven. May God help you and keep you and bless you. Amen.